afternoon, Minnesota. Welcome to the Sue Jeffer Show. Thank you for listening. I'm John Gilmore, in for Sue, or John Gilbert, as Sue sometimes mysteriously calls me. I don't think um, our producer, Stan Pago, has ever figured that one out. Have you, Stan? I'm just working hard on the phones here. You got 18 things going on. I mean, you know. Yeah, I do. And he's got a Sue complicated. He me into it, you know. Yeah. We're, we're going over different remixes of songs. I and know. Different genres. I know. And... Yeah, yeah. It's a learning experience. I have all Yoko Ono bumper music. Don't panic. Don't freak out. It's not the shrieky stuff, which is so weird because, well, she does have that music. And we all hate it, let's be honest. Um, she's got a whole bunch of music that has melody and harmonies and nice arrangements and she has a limited range but when she's within it it's it's quite lovely my twitter friend jill ryan msp was like what you've got to be joking and i said no no just stay with me and uh that song that opened the show i felt like smashing my face in a clear glass window you felt that way at times i'm guessing all of us have admit it stan (laughs) Or, or the equivalent. And, and this was, I think that song's like 35 years old. Yoko Ono's 85, but enough. We are here with a very full show. Um, joining me in the next few minutes will be a friend of mine we've yet to meet, but I uh, am a huge admirer of her, Diana West, the author, the historian. Um, and she's calling in to talk about a number of things. And then next Saturday, I'm having her on my podcast, Gilmore and Guests, Stan Poggle, producer extraordinaire. So the idea here was to introduce uh, Diana West to a larger audience, Sue Jeffers' audience, um, about some very interesting things. And for the proverbial deeper dive, uh, we'll have probably a half-hour, 45-minute discussion uh, of different things. Uh, of which Diana is a premier source of information. There are older podcasts. If you go to TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and look at uh, the podcast sections, you might have to put in Gilmore and Guest to find them because, I don't know. Well, the iHeartRadio thing is the best. Oh, do you use okay. that? I do. Oh, the, I mean, the, you just search whatever the name of the show is and okay. click follow, and right. you'll get a notification every time you post something new. Oh, great. Thanks for that. And that's the app, right? Yep. yep and it's free. Yeah. And it's for iPhone and Android? Everything. Excellent. Yeah. I'm kind of the forgotten middle child. Except though, for but... flip phones, of course. Yeah. Well, nostalgia isn't what it used to be. Um, after I have a discussion with Diana and I introduce uh, Sue's audience to her, um, I really don't know where to begin. Uh, it's been an amazing week uh, across the board. Life at the speed of Trump is what I call it. At the bottom of the hour, just after that break, um, our favorite, one of our two favorite uh, gun rights, Second Amendment rights advocates, Brian Strauser, will be phoning in. There was a huge rally at the state capitol pushing back against yet another liberal attempt uh, to grab our guns from law-abiding people who've done nothing wrong. Uh, it's not going to solve any of these horrible crimes and, and tragedies at schools and other locations, but the left thinks it is. Really, it's only about power and it's about control. Whenever you wonder what the left is up to or why they're up to a particular thing, look at it in terms of power. But now let me get to Diana West, who's been patiently holding through this introduction. I first learned of Diana through her book. I believe it came out in 2008. She'll correct me if I've got that date wrong, but I I don't think I do. It was called The Death of the Grown-Up. And that was eight years ago, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, ten years ago. 
what am I thinking? Uh, the death of the grown-up, it's only accelerated. And so, uh, not surprisingly, once you get to know Diana West, you get to know her work, um, she's pretty much ahead of the curve. So that's a good place to be. She has a good source of information across the board. Uh, her most recent book, Now in Audio, which is very exciting, and congratulations, Diana, is called American Betrayal, The Secret Assault on Our Nation's Character. And Diana West, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. It is wonderful to be with you. Uh, Diana, you are, without doubt, my favorite, uh, my listeners on my podcast, favorite author. But we've not had the chance yet to have you on uh, Minnesota Radio. So yes. I'm very delighted that you made yourself available. And you're also going to be available next week. Uh, obviously, the podcast isn't live, but we'll be posting that around, you know, 2 o'clock uh, Central daylight time for everyone to enjoy. Diana, for an audience that doesn't know your work, in particular with American Betrayal, could you give, and it doesn't do it justice, I know, and as I say, we'll be giving a, a fuller explanation uh, at the podcast, but how would you introduce American Betrayal to Minnesotans? Well, I'm very delighted to do so, of course, and I, again, am so happy to be on with you, John. It's been way too long for us to catch up with a lot of things, but American Betrayal becomes um, a touchstone and a continuing subject of, of interest, certainly for myself, and I'm happy to say others, because this is a book that I wrote by accident. It was actually not the book I even imagined writing when I first uh, signed up with St. Martin's Press for my second book with them. You mentioned The Death of the Grown-Up being the first one. Um, I was going to write a book about why we were having such a hard time talking about Islam in the post-9-11 period. I'd kind of taken a, a stab at this same subject in The Death of the Grown-Up, and I wanted to do a more of a historical look at it. The Death of the Grown-Up is more of a cultural look at how we became, the metaphor being, uh, childlike, infantile, sophomoric, um, less than fully adult, let's say, in terms of having these kinds of national conversations, certainly after 9-11, when we started losing a lot of language even to discuss um, Islam, jihad, Islamic terror, the caliphate, all of these words that eventually, and, and really not that, didn't take that long, were literally stripped from the nation's official lexicon, meaning words like that, Islam and jihad and the caliphate and al-Qaeda, that were in the 9-11 report that came out in the mid-2000s, uh, um, were stripped by the FBI, by Robert Mueller's FBI, I would add, by 2008. He literally took them out of the FBI's analytical lexicon. You could not talk about Islamic jihad. By 2008, you were talking about violent extremism. And so this is a whole other topic of conversation, but I had sort of taken a cultural look at that phenomenon, which I faced, particularly as I was, at the time, I was writing on the Washington Times editorial page and also writing my column. So I was very aware of, of what words were controversial and what words were not. It was very clear that we were having a problem. So the cultural look is really the death of the grown-up. And then I decided with American Betrayal to try to figure out if there were historical if there was a historical precedent for this failure, this fear, really, because I think it is a fear of, of speaking, of being dinged by being called in our time an Islamophobe, 
And what I discovered was there was precedent, and really when you go back to a couple of generations ago, the fear was being called a red baiter. So I started looking at parallels in terms of people trying to discuss and expose communist subversion and finding more and more in common with the period I was you know, living through, again, as a, as literally as a journalist and as an editorial writer working in Washington, D.C., in terms of having the discussion of Islamic subversion or Islamic Fasc- terror or Islamic anything. Fascinating, and, Diana. Can, yes. can you hold on through the break? Of and course. we'll pick up that thread on the other side. You're listening to the Sue Jeffers Show. I'm John Gilmore in for Sue at Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 and com. Welcome back to the Sue Jeffers Show. I'm John Gilmore in for Sue, who's spending the day with her family because family comes before you, comes before me, becomes comes before everything. She has her priorities right, no matter how much or despite how much she loves you. Uh, somebody that I love has been holding through what seemed like a forever break. Diana West, sorry for that. Thank you for holding. Um, Diana was speaking with us before the break about her most recent work, American Betrayal, the secret assault on our nation's uh, on our nation's character, recently uh, available in audio form, uh, read by the author herself, who has a fantastic voice, as you can tell. Diana, you were saying that you started out thinking you would write one book, and you ended up with another. Um, and Coulter says the same thing, uh, as I'm sure you know, with respect to Adios America. I didn't know that was the case with uh, American Betrayal, or maybe I've forgotten it. Yes, well, I think it's just a matter of once you allow the research to essentially lead you, you discover things that you didn't know before. And I would say that the researching that went into American Betrayal was a, for me, it's sort of a personal story of daily shock and discovery because essentially, um, and indeed looking at this sort of historical view um, of this kind of uh, uh, attitude toward discussing communism, which is what I was trying to make, much, I was speaking much, many, many, too many words to try to make that dis, uh, parallel between Islam and communism in the old days, um, the difficulties we have discussing it. Um, what I discovered was so much of what we are taught, what we learn, what we read is not true. And the way I was able to discover this um, was by going back to the original sources, going back to the hearings, going back to the uh, relatively recently released FBI documents, going back to the memoirs and newspapers and State Department records and all the rest of it that end up in this massive amount of research that, that the book took. And it was quite destabilizing because a lot of our heroes, people who are heroes to me, turn out not to be heroes in the book, and a lot of people that are considered demons today turn out to be heroes. And Di- Diana, could you... shock yeah. Minnesota by giving you two. Oh, great. <laughs> I would say that the pedestal that we have Franklin Roosevelt on is gone by the end of the, the, the book, and the, the uh, place we have in hell for, in historical hell for Joseph McCarthy is gone, and he ends up on a pedestal. 
Now, I know that will shock many listeners and absolutely frizzle everything they've been learned and learned in good faith and understand, but after spending a couple of years with this research, I back it up in the book, and I, I certainly invite people to read it and, or listen to it now and, and see what they think, because once you start understanding the extent to which a narrative was forced onto us because of the trick of communist infiltration, Soviet infiltration, Russian influence. We all know about Russian influence in the last couple of years, right? We've heard more about it than we ever want to hear in our lives. But in a way, this becomes tremendously good uh, tilling of the soil for my book because my book, in a sense, is really a history of Russian influence on American policymaking and cultural institutions particularly looking at policymaking in Washington during the 30s and 40s and 50s. So from the pre-war period, the FDR New Deal, through World War II, and going into the Cold War, we were absolutely infiltrated by Soviet agents who were placed covertly throughout our government, and they were able to essentially wreak havoc, not just on America, but on the world. And this becomes the story of the early swamp, that we that was seen at the end of, of World War II, which I do relate now to the swamp we're looking at today. Right. So this is the idea of infiltration and subversion that most Americans do not know. This history has really been blacked out from our comprehension and our certainly our, our education system. So I'm hoping that what this book does is sort of unlock some doors, just as the research did for me. It's, it's fascinating. I can um, assure listeners that it is eye-opening to read you in one sense as a reader don't want to believe what's before you but as diana said it's extensively exhaustively massively thoroughly did i say extensively (laughs) researched and footnoted and I, i don't want to get into this too much so i'll just use it as an aside diana west has been viciously attacked from all quarters and i watched in real time that's how i became friends with diana through the miracle of twitter because that's what it allows you to do and i saw these attacks i i knew her earlier work and it was astonishing and this the the fierceness of the reaction i would suggest tells you something about how dangerous the truth in her book is and I don't blame you if you're listening to, to Gilmore and West and thinking, what a couple of cooks. It sounds like a conspiracy <laughs> thing. Uh, neither of us are. Uh, this time only we'll speak for Diana. She's the last thing from a conspiracy uh, aficionado. As she said, she went where the historical record or the evidence or the proof or the text took her. And she did so by going back to those original sources rather than being satisfied, I'm presuming, Diana, from secondary and tertiary sources, which now form a narrative completely unmoored from what actually happened after World War II. And if you think it's implausible that we've been penetrated by Russian agents or Soviet agents of influence, uh, then you're the one who should read or listen to her book. I, I think that's a fair assessment, Diana. Yes, I think that's very, very well summarized, John. And I, I, I think that it, the shock of it is something that is part of the um, experience of reading or listening to the book, which is actually presented 
as I found the information, it's, it's, it's not a voice of God history book because, well, I don't really, I'm not a historian officially. I, but it, it is more or less told the way I came to this information. In other words, following the, 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 the thread where it led me because it was too much and I, I didn't know it all at the beginning and it would be too much to tell a person all at the beginning. So essentially it's chapter by chapter a detective story and it, it does even relate to the death of the grown-up, which I finally conclude might have well been, have been a murder in the sense that there was an organized effort to take down the country. We all know this. It comes out of Stalin's Kremlin. We know about the spies that have been exposed, but what I found when I was looking at some of the, the sources the actual intelligence history of subversion, which is very well documented in, in, many, in many areas, in many places, had not been interwoven with the historical narrative, with, with the diplomatic mm-hmm. histories, the biographies, mm-hmm. the That's histories right. of World War II, and so on. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this is the trick of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's completely fascinating. And, you know, people like Amity Schles and others have, have praised it. You can see the reviews uh, at Diana West. Dot net. That is Diana's website. There's a wealth of information there. She writes frequently. You can find the book, of course, at Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or any other outlet that would be carrying uh, quality books. And it's been fascinating to introduce you just a little bit to Sue Jeffers' Minnesota audience because they read, they keep up, and they are in my experience, um, quick to follow new leads provided that you can deliver the goods with respect to what you're saying. And ladies and gentlemen, Diana West does that in spades. And oh, well, thank you, John. Well, thank but so I'm not, much. I'm not the only one who, who is saying that. And I'm not a particular <laughs> local people can tell you I'm not a particular suck up, um, <laughs> or, you know, trying to blow smoke. But no. the, re- but the reality is, uh, this is something that, changes you foundationally with how you see uh, the current world. And that's a big claim, and you can simply crack the book open or start the audio of uh, Diana West reading that American Betrayal, and you'll find, I believe, that it's the case. And Diana, thank you so much for calling in to the Sue Jeffers Show. We will be recording uh, here in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, in the studio. Diana will be calling in, and we'll have uh, a further discussion of this. We've talked about it several times before. I don't know, Dan. I think you've been on half a dozen, eight, maybe even ten times. Um, it's been uh, these podcast experience are wonderful for both of us because we have a conversation and like the evidence we lead where the discussion goes and uh, i think it's uh some of my best podcasts because of the quality of the guest so the book is american betrayal the secret assault on our nation's character buy it on uh, amazon.com for audio or hardcover or paperback and i will tweet and announce the podcast when it is uh, completed a week from today diana west thank you Thank you so much, John. Speak to you soon. You've been listening to The Sue Jeffers Show, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Oh no.
Central Minnesota on the Sue Jeffers Show. I'm neither Yoko Ono nor Sue. I'm John Gilmore in for Sue. And thanks to Diana West, who joined us in the first half hour. That was greatly appreciated. Uh, we have a lot to talk about at some point, I believe. I'll have Brian Strausser from the Minnesota Gun Caucus calling in. Don't have a precise time when he'll be calling in, but that's the excitement of live radio, isn't it, Stan? That's the beauty of it, for sure. I thought you were out smoking. Maybe there no, was nobody no. behind the glass door. No, oh, I'm yeah. always here. I know. You're Just always hide here. behind the computer screens. Over here. Well, like the rest of us, you know, saying snarky things on Twitter or vicious Facebook posts in the age of snowflakes. Uh, the, the, gun, the gun rally was very well attended, and that's part of what I want uh, Brian to speak to, because... If you've been paying attention in the Twin Cities, we've had a series of uh, what I call astral turf orchestrated top-down uh, events manipulating uh, school students. It, it's ridiculous. Um, they're not organic. They're not authentic. Not that some of them don't believe what they do. That's not my point. My point is they're simply a weapon, a tool in the service of one aspect of the regressive left's agenda in Minnesota. And I don't think this audience needs to be told the Democrat Party has Democratic Party has been completely taken over by the far left, by the regressive left, by the cultural Marxists. I grew up in South Dakota. I came of age when there was somebody mainstream liberal, nice man, wrong about a lot of things but not vicious, didn't want to take away your rights, we could use, and I'm serious, more people like the late George McGovern in the Democratic Party. He would respect your opinion. He would try to understand it. And then he would say, here's where he didn't agree with it. He wouldn't try to get you deplatformed. He wouldn't advocate for demonetizing your YouTube channels. Uh, he wouldn't have you know, safety bans like uh, the one that was slapped on... Uh, Diamond and Silk, their testimony at the Capitol this week was uh, just delicious uh, because <laughs> you're not going to tell them anything in the service of a false narrative without being called out and good. Um, so if you see any of those clips running around on social media, uh, they're worth uh, a couple of minutes of your time because they're, they're standing up for the ability of all of us who aren't on the regressive left, which is most of us, having these platforms um the the kind of conservative that i tire of right now is the one who says oh but mr gilmore it's it's a private company and they can do what you want really that's the kind of reaction you're going to have to facebook to twitter to google to youtube because you're going to lose and your voice will be silenced i was a bit surprised I don't know, a year ago, when I came to the position, which I think is the correct one, those platforms are utilities. It, it, it happened organically. It happened spontaneously. It wasn't planned. It was the lived experience. But those platforms are now public utilities, and they should be regulated as such. You know, your phone doesn't get disconnected because you call someone and say, I'm voting for Trump or I'm voting for Hillary. They don't regulate your service based on that content so the idea that you know this this sort of naive 
um, clinical approach to our rights um, is, is the death of us. And the left is counting on those sort of of people, probably some insipid libertarians. Uh, they're tiresome. They're, there's nothing more tiresome than a libertarian. Let's talk about the Tenth Amendment. Um, you're being demographically replaced that will change forever the makeup of America, and those people will vote in uh, increasingly leftist governments. Great. Where's your priorities? I mean, it's not that I don't disagree uh, with the principles to some degree. It's just that they're so abstract, they have no application to what's happening right in front of our eyes and underneath our feet. We can't afford to have that sort of, uh, you know, um, outdated approach. We can't take an outdated approach to a lot of different things. Look at how different the cultural landscape is in America, yes, since Trump was elected. And of course, it was changing all the time when he was running, June 16th, 2015, not that I remember. One of the most interesting things that has happened in my adult lifetime happened in the last week. And I wrote about it for Alpha News. You can go to alphanewsmn.com and you can see an article that I wrote about, yes, Kanye West. I only knew Kanye West because... Some of these things you can't avoid. Yes, and the Kardashians and all that nonsense, right? I mean, you're aware of it. You don't pay attention to it. This audience has never kept up with the Kardashians, and it's a source of pride. Don't mean to hurt your feelings, Dan. I know you are a regular viewer of all things Kardashian. Um, I'm, I'm kidding, Stan, my producer. But, but Kanye West tweeted, I love the way Candace Owens thinks. Candace Owens is a force of nature, an African-American woman who is a barn burner with respect to her ideas and her views on what has happened to blacks in America under 50 years of lockstep Democrat voting. Not good. She's, and Scott Adams, the author of the Dilbert cartoon, f features into this. It's, it's sort of a mashup of these different disparate elements. Uh, but if you go to alphanewsmn.com, um, you can find it. And it's, it's not a long read, but I think it's an important read. Um, I write every Sunday, but I wrote on a Wednesday because it's so unusual where you see leading cultural figures among black Americans like Kanye talk about loving Trump talking about trying to look at how the black community and the families that have been decimated through violence, through other pathologies, the 75-80% out-of-wedlock birth and children growing up without fathers, and how they have decided that the left will no longer silence them. They will talk about it, and they want to find different approaches. They want to find things that will work for a change. And the reaction has been fierce. It's been extremely fierce because so much is at stake. Think about it. If the Republican Party got 15% of the black vote, it's game over. And that's what's so fascinating to me. It doesn't have to be 40%, not by a long shot. It just has to be double digits. 15% would be excellent. 
And that's not particularly hard um, in different states, you know, because of how we elect our president. And if you get a large number of blacks thinking for themselves, rather than just going along with any candidate who has a D behind his or her name, things get mighty interesting, mighty fast. By the way, our friends at the Center of the American Experiment uh, is having Candace Owens in on May 8th. And if you go to their website, I believe there are still tickets available. It's a luncheon speaking, a speak, speaking engagement, noon to 1.30, I believe. And her title is How I Took the Red Pill. A year ago, my friend Howard Root invited me to the center's annual dinner. I sat at his table, and I listened to Senator Tom Cotton. And I wrote up that experience for Alpha News and titled that, Tom Cotton, Red Pills, the Center of the American Experiment. Let's just say they weren't particularly happy with the title or the content, but that's exactly what he did. You know, I sat in an ocean of women with blue rinse hair, and Senator Cotton was talking about a lot of issues very plainly, and it made them uncomfortable. Honesty in Minnesota, not our greatest resource. That's why so many Minnesotans are passive-aggressive. Uh, and I could spend the rest of the hour talking about that, but we both get, you, the listeners and I both get bored. So if you want to see Candace Owens, you can uh, see her in person through the Center of the American Experiment. They're bringing in excellent people. I was out of the country when they brought in Tucker Carlson. I understand he gave an astounding, amazing, very red pill speech. So good for the Center of the American Experiment. Um, they've done so much work with respect to the disaster that the Edina schools have become, unfortunately. So we will have, we will have Brian Strausser. And other issues, please call if you would like to talk about anything. It's Open Line Saturday, 651-989-5855, The Sue Jeffers Show, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Jeffers show. I'm John Gilmore in for Sue, who's spending the day with her family. I think a lot of people are outside, Stan. It's just gorgeous out, and it's long overdue given the blizzard that we had, what, two weekends ago? Yes, it is. And uh, people are getting out there, that's for sure. I've seen a lot of motorcycles, so watch out for those, too. That's my little PSA. Yes, that's a good PSA um, for you. For those of you in Anoka, I'm kidding. It stands for a public service announcement. Joining us now is Brian Strausser with the Minnesota Gun Caucus. Brian was out and about, speaking of a beautiful day, helping us keep our Second Amendment rights safe from crazy, wacky, gun-grabbing, loony liberals with a big rally at the state capitol i asked him to call in he's been very busy today so i do appreciate the time brian welcome to the sue jeffers show hey john thanks for having me on well how was the rally why don't you tell everyone in the audience who wasn't there what happened how it went down and 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 how you're feeling about it yeah we, we had a great event and i feel really good about uh, the message that we sent today and the size of crowd 
that was able to come out. We were expecting about 2,000 or so people. Let's say our estimate is between 2,500 and 3,000 uh, out of the state capitol. We had a great roster of speakers. Um, Rob Dorr, our political director and lobbyist, kicked things off. Our friends from the African-American Heritage Gun Club came in with a different perspective than I think most folks are used to hearing from gun rights organizations. We had Joe Olson, uh, who wrote Minnesota's Permit to Carry Law from the Gun Owners Civil Rights Alliance. We had Willis Lee was our keynote. He's an NRA board member uh, from Hawaii, uh, former chair of the Republican Party there, who gave a good update uh, from the national stage. Uh, and then State Representative Marion O'Neill, who dismantled uh, anti-gunner Dave Pinto at the House Public Safety Hearing back on March 1st, <laughs> uh, gave perspective as a state legislator in what we've seen. And uh, we had a ton of legislators present. We had a ton of candidates, uh, Jeff Johnson, Mary Juliana Stevens, some of Palinti's folks were there. Um, just a really good crowd uh, overall. And um, amazingly, uh, no one was shot or hurt uh, because of uh, the misuse of firearms. Yeah, it's ridiculous in in no other discussion and in no other, okay, contentious social issue will you find the remedy being proposed to penalize people who absolutely aren't part of the problem. Why do you think that is, Brian? I think you know, but I think I know you know why. Why don't you tell our listeners why you think that is? Well, I think it's, it, you know, it, it, it's the issue with the anti-gun left is they're going to blame the tool uh, instead of realizing that what you can't solve is the evil that's in some individual's hearts. Isn't it also the case, Brian, that when you strip it all away and you force them to get rhetorically naked, huh, let's say we put a gun to their head, huh, let's, let's just rhetorically speaking, they want to take away the guns. They do. I mean, Justice Stevens saying, time to repeal the Second Amendment. What the bloody hell? A former sitting United States Supreme Court justice. Poof, there goes the entire Second Amendment. I don't think we've seen anything else like that. No. I mean, definitely not at that level. I mean, uh, former Chief Justice Warren Burger once said that the idea that the Second Amendment defended the constitutional right to keep their arms was a fraud. Um, but Stevens, you know, even Warren Burger didn't go as far as Justice Stevens did by saying, hey, we should repeal the Second Amendment. Right, right. It's truly remarkable. Brian, what can you tell Sue Jeffers' uh, listeners with respect to gun legislation this session? Now, admittedly, there's, what, three weeks left until uh, we're rid of those plague of locusts at the Capitol. Is, <laughs> is there any threat to our Second Amendment rights that you can see on the near horizon? This is the most dangerous time, in, in my opinion, because we do have divided government. We have a Democratic, you know, DFL governor. We have Republican-controlled legislature, and um, you know, the governor is going to get his say in legislation when this stuff goes to him to be vetoed or, or signed. And that's where you know the negotiations are going to start in that process of crafting these large omnibus bills. So is there a chance that something could happen? Yes. I, I, but however, I'm very confident um, that Senator Gazelka is not going to allow that to happen in the Senate. We saw his caucus, even though there's been some division on the issue with Senator Jensen and Senator Paul Anderson signing on to some gun control legislation, they all voted down the party line, and along with a few DFLers, to kill everything that came down the pipe on Thursday. There were three amendments that were attempted. All three failed. Uh, it's the same challenge in the House. I mean, I think the 
anti-gun court will try some amendments. I'm very confident in the Republican caucus, the former DFL allies in the House, and, and Speaker Dowd has made it very clear um, he's not going to allow gun control legislation to pass. So the threat's there. Um, but I think we just have to keep up the pressure on the right people, on, on everyone's individual legislators, House and Senate, and I think we'll be okay. But we can't let up until it's over. Right, and, and you will certainly keep people uh, up to speed with respect to any uh, any developments. Is there a chance, Brian, because you know the legislative sausage making far better than I do with respect to, to gun bills, is there um, a danger of of the bad guys pulling a fast one with the complicity of some squishy Republican? Is there anything like that that, that is possible? I don't think so. Um, I mean, it's always possible, right? I mean, that's why we have to keep the pressure up. The House has a very large, solid GOP majority, and there's DFLers that are um, allies over there. So I don't see anything happening there. The Senate, you know, is a one-vote majority. There is a group of senators, DFL senators, on the Iron Range that typically vote program, and they did this week again. Um, but I think even in the Senate, though, where we've seen a couple people get squishy, again, Paul Anderson, Scott Jensen in particular, uh, on the topic of background checks, um, they voted those down. Um, so I think as long as we continue the pressure, um, I'm pretty confident we'll end the, the session and head into the elections here in the fall uh, without any new legislation being passed. And how do you assess the Republican gubernatorial candidates? Are they all pretty much on board uh, with respect to their commitment to protect our Second Amendment rights, Brian? Yeah, I think they are. Um, you know, we hosted a gubernatorial forum earlier this year before uh, Governor Pawlenty entered the race. And uh, the Republicans that were in the field, uh, and, and we only brought certain candidates to the forum, but um, Jeff Johnson and Mary Giuliani Stevens um, gave great solid 100% program rights answers uh, to our questions at that event. And we've had, uh, uh, Rob Dorr and I have had a chance to talk with Governor Pawlenty, um, both in terms of just understanding his position, but educating him on kind of the current state of the game. Uh, um, you know, and, and he's made some public statements since then. I think that he'll, um, he's adopted a, a solid program, program rights position, and I think we'll see that continue. Um, we should remember that Governor Pawlenty is the one that signed our permit to carry a law. Right, like, right. In 03, and then it had to be repassed because of a court challenge in 05. Um, and I have no reason to believe that he would, wouldn't continue to support the Second Amendment moving forward. So I think with any of the Republicans, uh, we're going to be in a good position. That's good to hear, because sometimes uh, people go off uh, on a tangent, and it's not good for something as important as our Second Amendment rights. I don't think I've ever had this discussion with you on the air or off uh, with respect to concealed carry. Isn't it the case, because you were there in the thick of the fight, I was simply uh, watching somewhat marginally, frankly, uh, from the side sidelines. Uh, but I, I recall, unless I'm, you know, unless I've got it completely wrong, that there were any number of dire predictions with respect to concealed carry and you going to go out for a loaf of bread and a you know gallon of milk and you'll be shot dead by some you know gun nut at the grocery store or sitting in traffic and somebody will be fumbling for it i mean weren't there 
And I know it's usual from the left, but I just want to make sure that listeners remember they do this all the time with anything. Weren't there any number of over-the-top dire predictions as to what would happen to public safety with respect to concealed carry? Yes, there were. And, and I, I actually wasn't living here uh, in 03 and 05. I was in Massachusetts, which is far worse than here. Nah. Uh, yes, <laughs> I won't argue with that one. Um, but I do know, having you know worked in in the area, or, or um, you know worked in this movement for about a decade, and in talking with folks that have been involved much longer, there were dire predictions uh, in the House and Senate during the debates, both times, that blood would run in the streets and people would get in fights over you know parking spots and traffic disputes, and <laughs> you know, of course, none of that has come to pass. And I don't remember. I have to go back and ask uh, somebody that was here then. There was a female. Uh, state senator, I believe, that made a huge deal about this on the floor. And when the 10th anniversary came around in 2013 of the original bill said, yeah, I was really wrong. And history has shown me that I was wrong, uh, but I don't remember who that was. Well, well, credit to whoever that is. Credit, credit where due, because we all get things wrong. Well, Brian Strausser, thank you for giving us an update with respect to the successful 3,000 attendee gun rally at the state capitol. Can you give our listeners your website one more time? Sure. We're the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus, and you can find us at gunowner.mn on the Internet. Thank you so much, Brian. You've been listening to The Sue Jeffers Show. I'm John Gilmore, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, and com. Give me a chance.